Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of The Breakfasters for week ending Friday the 4th of June 2021. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. My name's Elizabeth McCarthy and I produce Breakfasters on Triple R. And coming up on this podcast, you'll hear our Breakfasters presenters, Daniel Burt, Geraldine Hickey and Sarah Smith talking about the fact that Geraldine is leaving and she's leaving in a few days' time. And so the team talk about that and how much they will miss her and what's in store when Jez leaves. They also talk to Katrina Sedgwick, the CEO of Acme, about the Disney exhibition that's on there. Vanessa Toholka brings Tech Talk and she explains what to do when a loved one starts believing in conspiracy theories that they've read online. Dr. Jen talks about a new study into the microbiomes of 60 different cities on six continents and what that actually means. Sarah talks about her first week at home with Junie, her baby. The team talk about Cheese Day, that is International Cheese Day, and Friday Funny Bugger Laura Dunneman makes the team tell some lies. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Melbourne's own. Triple R. Uh, been getting a, a few uh, nice text messages. Welcome you, welcome mean you back, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. Do you want to try and text me that sentence instead of saying it? <laughs> Wel- welcome mean you back, <laughs> Sarah you. Smith. Thank you. Welcome back, Sarah Smith. Uh, and it is so great to have you back. Um, and we're all, uh, Daniel, you've never left us. You've been the rock that has held this team steady over the last 12 months well, and six months while Smithy's been away. Um, and, but, which, anyway, I have big news. <laughs> oh. And it's like I've known about, I've, like, how do, I, how do I say this? And it's, there is no easy way to say it. There's no, like, fun way to do Is there a fun way to do it? I've m- went through all of this. And anyway, I'm leaving. Not today. Don't stress. Um, but uh, I, I'm busy. I've got lots of things on going on in my life. I've been a breakfaster for five and a half years. I've waited for Smithy to come back so we can have some time. We've got the team back together again. Uh, so we'll be here for um, – I'll be here for another two weeks. Um, the plan was to have a, a big final farewell at the um, – at the Northgate Social Club on Friday the 11th of June. That will be my last day. Who knows whether that will happen on that particular day. Mm. But there will be some sort of celebration at some stage in the future. But in the meantime, uh, Smithy and I will have, um, and Daniel, we'll, the three of us will have uh, two weeks together back on air. And then um, I will um, step off. Okay. Uh, because you said the other week, did you get your tarot or your palm read or something? Yeah, I got a, had a tarot card reading mm. um, and, and a massage. Um, that uh, well, the, one of the things they said was I was going to get a house that's bigger than I expect. Oh. So yeah, things that let's, like, let's stay friends. Yeah, <laughs> sure. well, no, but the the reason I bring it up is because it's like, well, everything's just going gangbusters for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, I went into that tarot card reading. What what can they possibly say that's going to, oh, okay, I'll take that bigger house that I, um, and who knows when that will happen. But yeah, it's, 
it's obviously being a breakfaster has been such an absolute privilege and a, a, it's it's I can't put into words how much it, it means to me to have been able to be in this position for such a long time um, and I I, part of the reason why I'm stepping off is that so someone else can have a go at this. And also, yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> I've got stuff coming up. Obviously, I just I want to do more stand-up. I want to tour more. Um, I want to hit the road. I want to spend more time in, in Venus Bay um, because that's where Kath lives. And I'd like to live with my future wife. Um, and I'd like to have some sleep-ins maybe. Um, and also we start filming um, season two of Metro Sexual. So that is due to start. It's due to start in a, in a few weeks. So, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got things, things happening, things oh, going on. I, just, I was just going to say I feel like so weirdly emotional about this but in this funny way, oh. like this has been. Uh, can we be honest that we've known that this was going to probably happen for a while? Yeah, yeah, Jess, yeah. Because I mean, I don't know if it matters that we share that, but like, I guess y- you you were kind of considering stepping off last year. Mm. Um, I kind of went. Yeah, five years is a, is a good amount of time. Yes. I'll step off after five years, and then you know we got a pandemic. We had a I pandemic. Went- and I went, well, maybe I'll I'll help out and stick around a bit longer. Oh, there was helping out, but there was also, who quits a job in a pandemic? <laughs> so, you know, and given that I didn't know whether what stand-up was going to look like and whether we'd be able, I'd be able to do much at all, I went, of course I'll stick around for a bit longer. Um, and, yeah, so now it's kind of, um, yeah, it's happening. Into, and also, yeah, part of that obviously was, wanting to spend my have my last show with you Sarah as well like I have to I had to wait for you to, for you to come back yeah I threw a spanner well. in the works as well when I got pregnant I felt yeah. so bad it's so <laughs> an example of how extraordinary Jez is as a human being though mm. that like we had a pandemic and you're like all right I'll stick around and kind of get you through and then I went oh, I'm sorry I'm pregnant and you went it's all right I'll stick around and <laughs> hang out until you come back and yeah. then you're bloody here and you know what what's happened in the last month or two for you? Just a few small things. Like you just won the best, the biggest award you can win in comedy in Australia. Oh, no, right. And I just, I don't know. I do you don't, remember? Uh, do you remember last year when I got, or the year before when I got nominated for that award? Yeah. And you, Sarah, was the only one that was there when I I got the phone call. Um, like from the festival director, she called me and she goes, just ringing to let you know that you've been nominated for the most outstanding show. Um, it'll be on social media in like 10, 15 minutes or something, just giving you a heads up. Mm. And then I got off, and Sarah was in, we we're both here in the studio, it was after the show, and Sarah was sitting here and she was <laughs> on the phone to somebody else and I had to stand there for ages just needing to tell somebody and waiting for Sarah to get off the phone. <laughs> and I just had to, like, just keep on looking. I'm like, come on, come on. And then got off the phone. And then, anyway, I got to tell you, it was very exciting. Um, what a dramatic morning. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Sorry to all the um, – I feel like we're dumping to... it on people. Yeah. yeah. Firstly, got... the rabbit died. <laughs> 
It's just like it's just um, you know I do I, I do want to uh, you know I guess apologise to the listeners for I mean it's a lot to take in I guess so it it, it was difficult to find a way of how to yeah c- communicate this uh, get this message across but I was a little bit worried that people would think that oh, I was the reason you were late on a very selfish front well, yeah, I thought I was worried oh, I'm going to come back well. and then you're two minutes an hour into the show you'll be like I'm, yeah, I'm out of here yeah. Um, Oh, Smithy's back. <laughs> I'm out. I'm done. Um, I am. Um, I am done, but not, not because of that. Um, should we say um, who's who's taking who's taking over? Yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think we definitely should. Uh, very excited to announce that um, Bobby McCumber will be the new breakfaster, uh, which is very exciting. Um, listeners would have heard her fill in a couple of times. Mm. Uh, she did um, a, a fill over when we were on break, and she's been one of our stalwart um, funny bugger and Wednesday wisecrackers over the past year. And I think she'll just be a terrific asset to to the team. Yeah, um, we're so excited. It's it's kind of a strange thing when you announce that you're leaving a show and I feel emotional and sad about that. But then you're saying that Bobby's coming on, which we're really excited about yeah. as well. Uh, there's kind of like... Well, that's, you know, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that because, you know, remember one of the main reasons, of course, I'm leaving because I'm busy, but also I'm, <laughs> I'm leaving... <laughs> <laughs> because I do – it is such a privilege to do this job and I um, and it has done wonders for my career um, and to give someone else that opportunity is, you know, is one of – if not one of the main reasons, the main reason is why I'm stepping off. Yeah. How do you feel now you've said this? I feel like we've been waiting for you to it's, – it's very strange, isn't it? I have it's all these really emotions. weird. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know whether to cry or just go and get another coffee or something. Like it's, you know, it's weird. Yeah. Anyway. But two weeks together. Two weeks what together. Are we, what are we going to do in two weeks? What are we going to achieve for your last two weeks? Oh, have yeah. you got any dreams for the last two weeks? Oh, gosh, I haven't even thought about that. Maybe every day we could bring in um, like a different um, cake or something. Oh, every yeah. Day. That might be nice. <laughs> I'm into that. Sure. Yeah. What about a slice or what, something? What about some Skype calls? Do you want to do some of them? Oh, yeah, we'll do heaps of <laughs> Skype calls. I'd love to do that. Oh, that um, but no, no more people in the studio. Just everything's on Skype, please. And then maybe if things turn to shit, we'll go back home for my last show. That'll be terrific. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Shown in Australia for the very first time, an exclusive to Melbourne, Acme's exhibition, Disney. The Magic of Animation contains original sketches and rare artworks covering the studio's near 100-year legacy. It's set to return when COVID cases eventually eventually allow, and to tell us about it, we're joined by CEO and Director of the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, Christina Sedgwick. Welcome back to Breakfasters. Good morning. Good morning to you. As, a, um, as one of Australia's foremost screen connoisseurs, what is it about Disney that looms so large in your mind? Well, I think part of it is the the longevity. I mean, Disney, uh, you know, their their first cartoon that really kind of burst onto the stage um, was 1928 uh, with Steamboat Willie, which starred Mickey Mouse and Friends. And from that moment on, uh, Disney has been right at the kind of centre of sort of um, screen storytelling and pop culture. 
uh, so nearly a century of um, influencing not just uh, how animation is made, um, uh, but also the 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 kind of voices on that screen, and you know, spreading out um, right across so many other areas of popular culture. You know, their their first animated feature um, in 1937 was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Again, just a massive impact from then um, and it's been a kind of ongoing and and um, pretty continuous uh, success story during that time and a massive evolution not just kind of technologically but also in in the way that they tell their stories who they tell their stories about and so on reflecting I suppose the the changing century that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So, well, this Walt Disney Animation Research Library in LA has something like 65 million artworks is that right it's unbelievable um they they basically it's a it's a private research library it's on the disney studio lot and so it's there not for the public but for the studio itself for their for their researchers animators storytellers to be able to go in and and explore how um the studio has has created um its its film over over the near hundred years, um, and out of those sixty five million artworks and, and objects, um, Krista McCormack, who's the art exhibition and conservation manager there, selected five hundred, um, which have been on tour uh, for the last kind of three years around around the world, and so they're kind of highlights that you know the, the focus of the exhibition is really to sort of lift the hood and show how the, the films have been made. So very much looking at the animation themselves and and their skills so you see a lot of um, really beautiful uh, handmade works you know pencil drawings um, gouaches and watercolors um, these kind of techniques that show from those sort of very analog days in the 1920s through to the digital world that we're in today human beings using their imagination and their craft um, are, are, you know, what is the kind of very basis um, of the films that we see. And, of course, you know, we can see this incredible number, 65 million drawings and objects and artworks going into making these these shorts and features um, over the century. Hundreds and hundreds of people contribute to every single one of the films that we see. And I think that's a really another really lovely thing about um, these works that you see. It's such a sort of ensemble and collaborative effort. Well, you know what goes on behind the curtain in so much of making media. Is there anything that really tickled you about this particular exhibition? Look, I think, I mean, some of the bits I love, you know, are these kind of moments of ingenuity. So like the Steamboat Willie cartoon, for example, just looking at these very first drawings that that the animators were doing and how they've kind of refined um, these images using this incredible economy of line. Um, there's, there's barely any pencil lines on the page and yet they managed to convey these incredible um, emotions and this wonderful kind of energy and idiosyncrasy of, of each of the characters that, that they're creating. Um, for the first time, so it's Mickey, Mickey and Minnie and their friends. Um, but then also, you know, the world around them. You you see, there's this one great drawing of them on a on a raft as they're going through water, and you know, just seeing the kind of energy and excitement of the characters. But they're on this kind of raft as it's going through 
through the water and the, the water's kind of splashing on them and you see this incredible sense of movement and there's hardly anything on the page. Mm. <laughs> there's kind of such a story that's being told. So I, I love seeing that and you, and you see that continually through through the films, just, just the way there's just so much impact and energy and story in, in these very, very kind of simple images. I saw, the other thing, oh, sorry, go on. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I, I suppose then, you know, the, the how they then build build the worlds around these characters and so they use these kind of you know beautiful paintings um to create to create the sort of worlds around them that the kind of sets if you like um and there's this great um clip that we've got from snow white you know so so the first feature where they've done this invention it's called the multiplane um and remembering this is all entirely analog so they've done this thing where they've they've created a machine that allows you to have a series of kind of flats if you like one after the other to create a sort of depth of field and they illustrate it with this clip um, of Snow White and so she's running away, running away from, from the Wicked Queen um, into the forest for the, from the hunter um, and she's, she's terrified at every turn. Her world's, world's been kind of blown apart. The sense of safety that she's had is gone and she's running through the forest and all around her she imagines that every tree, every kind of plant, every animal is... is her impe- spelling her impending doom and just this amazing kind of deck of field that they managed to create using this machine called the multiplane. And in 1937, it's just amazing technology and ingenuity. Mm. Are we losing anything, do you think, as drawing appears to be getting usurped by more digital forms of animation? I, I don't think so because drawing is still being used. Um, and we've seen that in Disney and indeed all all of the studios that, that we've um, done shows with or exhibited um, over the years at Acme, it's amazing how analogue is still used. You know, the pencil, the sculpture, <laughs> the painting, um, all of those animators still still use those techniques um, as, they're, as they're kind of building their worlds. And, indeed, quite a lot of the digital replicates those sort of pencil drawings. But what it does is it saves so much time, um, you know, before when you when you know you were using these sort of analog techniques each individual animator had to hand um, recreate painstakingly exactly the same character um, exactly the same world over and over and over again hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times um, now digital allows you to to replicate that and then do that that move to the next panel you know where you're seeing a, a character move a tiny little bit the equipment of you know the 24 frames per second that you capture with live action mm. um you do that in in animation and um and now i'm helps you do that more quickly so i suppose um and you know you look at the credits of those films there's still hundreds and hundreds of people collaborating together so i think that kind of that shared animation and shared energy is still there that that human craft of it is the human being creating that story and it's creating that that energy and it's creating those those characterable um, depictions um, that are so delightful um, in Disney animation. So, uh, no, I don't think anything's lost. I think it's just <laughs> probably more efficient. I saw that the um, exhibition covers the, the 90s renaissance of Disney and I don't know that I was aware that there was – I always thought Disney was at the top of the game. I didn't know there had to be a renaissance. But what, what happened in animation? What were they doing in the 90s that, that kind of, I guess, you know – made this renaissance come about? 
Um, well, it was called The Lion King, and um, <laughs> or actually Beauty and the Beast, I think, was the first one. Um, but but The Lion King was this unbelievable um, kind of global hit. I think they they you know that's when they kind of really seized um, the the sort of the the musical. Um, as their as their vehicle, um, and it they just kind of captured captured you know I've got to say the world's imagination because <laughs> the 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 way that um, Disney permeates globally is incredible, um, and we're seeing that in the audiences who are coming. There's this incredible diversity of of people and backgrounds, ages, demographics, cultures. Um, and I suppose that's what's interesting too, you know, with nearly a hundred years of storytelling, um, you know, you, pretty much um, you can grow up and uh, have grown up in the 1920s and 1930s and it's quite possible that Disney was part of your your childhood, um, d- depending on where you were. And, you know, it's fascinating how how much impact, you know, in, in um, say, for example, in Asia, um, generally uh, you just see those characters playing out so much in kind of pop iconography and fashion and so on and it's just so kind of influential um, these different kind of Disney characters right through the century not just the kind of recent ones um, I you know I mean I'm I'm of an era where uh, I was watching Disney films um, bed knobs and broomsticks and, and films like that I just I loved when I was a kid but they've they're a different kind of film um, and this this particular areas looking so much at the animation canon and there's no doubt that that those sort of later films um when I say later <laughs> late 80s um 90s 2000s and and up until Raya and the Last Dragon which which came out this year um are, are massively successful um for the studio and of course spawning all sorts of things including including musicals um the Lion King being being the big one, of course, Frozen, hopefully, uh, opening any moment in, yeah. in Melbourne. Speaking of that, uh, putting the last week to one side, what was it like wandering the exhibition? It was absolutely packed when I was there. Uh, it's, I think, maybe the first major exhibition you've had since the renovations. Uh, and wh- what was it like for you wandering around the crowds for a start? Oh, I mean, almost surreal, I have to say, when you think that, I mean, in Los Angeles, for example, museums haven't reopened since COVID arrived last year. So, you know, I mean, we've we've been feeling this incredible sense of uh, luck, I suppose, um, to to be in the world and to have the opportunity to reopen a major museum, ACME, which we did in in mid-February with our permanent exhibition, The Story of the Moving Image, which has had locals flocking to it since then. And then, you know, the day we opened Disney, visitation doubled. Mm. Um, and, you know, it felt really moving, actually, um, after this this amazing and terrible year that we've had, um, to, to be somewhere where we as a community come back together and share these kind of stories and um, iconic moments and memories um, as as a community again, um, it it's amazing what uh, you know something like the pandemic um, creates for us, I suppose, and what you stop taking for granted and and being together is one of those things. Um, so, yeah, it was it's incredibly moving, and you know the the exhibition, the team, I mean the team at Disney at the Walt Disney Animation Research Library have just done a beautiful job curating it. But um, I have to see our, say our staff at Acme and Anita Budai, who's the um, 
exhibition designer we've worked with a, a lot actually um, and who's, who's designing exhibition here they, they've done an amazing job so you know you, you catch lift down and you you open you walk in there and there's this kind of beautiful archway that's sort of Mickey's ears um, and you walk into the space and the first area is this sort of black and white space where we explore the steamboat willy and then you just go into this world of colour and it's it's really kind of joyful and and beautiful and um, and yeah I I, I I think it's quite a sort of uh, a moving experience, I think, for all of us and I think for audiences as well. And, you know, for, for, there's been a lot of industry people who, who've got a background in animation going and many of them moved to tears just seeing these these drawings and these kind of historical moments that have had so much impact on them and their, their work, um, let alone their lives as they've kind of shared these stories. And I suppose for me too, it's I've really enjoyed seeing... I suppose the the studio and those stories evolve. You know, as a as a as a young girl growing up and and looking at these stories. I mean, I I loved the story of Snow White and you know this this child escaping the evil of the the wicked stepmother and then going into the forest and discovering this house of little um, the you know the seven seven dwarves and and the the camaraderie and fun and sort of magic. Um, of those that space, I, I was sort of less interested in the in the prince coming and saving <laughs> at the end. Um, and and you know it's really great to see you know the, those kind of stories change, um, and you know these girls become so much more empowered to see the kind of culturally diverse cultural diversity. You know the sort of the whiteness of the faces um, adapt and change into this far more kind of. Um, diverse world of, of stories being told and you know also you know I've got sons and and to see that those um, male characters become far more multi-dimensional you know films like Hero 6 um, and and Wreck-It Ralph and so on where there's there's kind of the boys get to to be much more complex and emotive um, and and vulnerable and you know I think I think that's fascinating to see how um, in in Western culture, we've we've had to, you know, really shift and change and explore stories in in more depth across that time and a, and and more breadth, I suppose, and and let other voices speak through um, uh, in different ways. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I I think it's a really satisfying exhibition, and and it and I think just the sort of level of interest, I think, just goes to show how how influential the studio has been in in so many ways across animation, across cinema, across fashion, across music, across street culture, across so many different areas of, of, um, of the stories that, that we tell uh, in our creative lives and, and that we consume. And, and um, there's been a real energy for that and I, I can't wait to be, to be reopened again. Yes, to, precisely. To, to welcome everyone back in again. Well, yeah. the exhibition is Disney, the magic of animation. It'll be back when it's back and it'll mm-hmm. be on till October 17. Uh, Katrina Sedgwick, CEO and Director of Acme, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Triple R. Vanessa Tolk is here to talk tech. G'day, Vanessa. Good morning, Breakfasters. Nice to see you again, Sarah. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Lovely to see your face through a screen. <laughs> and Geraldine, I believe this might be the last time we get to tech talk oh. together. Oh, it is! Oh. 
Well, thank you so much for all the laughs, particularly when we're remote like this. Gosh, they really boost my yeah, day. It's so, yeah, hello. Oh, that's really sad. I <laughs> know. Oh, I wasn't expecting any of this till next week. I'm sorry. Oh. Here we are. Jeez, just put her hand out like a scene in the Titanic at, Cause at Vanessa. Like a True, a Perspex screen and, a, and an iPad screen. I feel like it's a little bit E.T., isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, but and you've come with one of my favourite subjects in terms of <laughs> conspiracy Look, theories. I, I aim to please, Geraldine. Mm-hmm. Uh, in June last year, we spoke about how to stop being part of amplifying misinformation. And in April, Dan Salmon uh, chased that, sharing some of the ways conspiracy theories form and spread online, which was an incredible uh, little ride with Dan. So today, as we see how many different barriers there are to moving a whole society towards vaccination, I thought we should discuss deprogramming. So after people are bombarded with misinformation, predominantly online, um, particularly when they're in lockdown situations and, and, you know, online can be such a comfort, how do we bring people back from the conspiracy edge? Um, Our go-to might be the facts. Um, Unfortunately, it isn't the only uh, approach and it certainly may not be the most effective one. So I've got eight steps anyone can take if they need to have conversations with people in their lives um, and they think they might have, you know, taken in some poor information and, you know, could be sort of pointed in the right direction a little bit. I wondered, do you think that there are any groups of people who are more susceptible to conspiracy theories or misinformation? Um, I mean, I think people would say boomers, and I've heard about um, fitness people. Yeah, people, yeah. health and well-being. Yeah. Health and well-being. <laughs> yeah. And we know that it's through some of those communities that some people are exposed to misinformation. But what is really, I think, quite comforting to know is it's very human to fall for conspiracy theories Mm. and that all of us think that the average person will be more influenced by fake news or conspiracy theories than we are. Um, But there's no evidence that any particular group is more susceptible and no one's completely immune uh, that gosh, was a red herring, Vanessa. You threw all of us right under now. the bus. <laughs> yeah. You made us these groups. <laughs> Dan, I did appreciate your news segment this morning, which really did throw some conspiracy theory in there, yeah. I've got to say. Oh, thanks. Um, I think this, this pathway, you know, what this tells us is that we need to bring our humility to this conversation. That's the first step. So respect, compassion and empathy are required if you're going to make a difference to somebody who's taken in some misinformation. All right, our second point, find and address the kernel of truth. I love this because it makes me think of popcorn. But uh, (laughs) Joan Donovan, who's a disinformation expert at Harvard Uni, says that the the problem with um, a whole lot of misinformation and conspiracy theories is they contain a kernel of truth. Now, this is a point we have spoken about before, um, that there's something verifiable in there somewhere For example, they think that they've tracked the 5G conspiracy theory back to a paper published in um, December, uh, that's a couple of Decembers ago, in the science translational medicine about quantum dots, uh, about particles emitting near-infrared light, blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on, and you kind of think, where did anyone go from this? But what they heard was that this particular light could be embedded in skin to record vaccinations these quantum dots could be used that way. And then from this point, this whole lot of extrapolation about vaccines having 5G and blah, blah, blah got got created by people who didn't understand the original paper. And I think you can agree, it doesn't sound very easy to understand that paper. (laughs) 
So that's point two, find and address the kernel of truth. There is another interesting point about this kernel of truth, which is that lots of misinformation or conspiracies tend to involve a dangerous other. And a common underpinning of these theories is racism. And I never thought about this. This is a mind-blowing fact to me. So disinformation falls into the what they don't want you to know about type of information and who they refers to tends to be racialized. I'm like, I'm not sure that's 100% true and that sometimes the they seems to be lizard people in positions of political power. Mm. But it was something to think about and go, wow, really another reason why it's worth interrogating these ideas. So the, what, what's of the other points are quite a bit snappier. Point three is just super practical. Take the conversation out of a public forum. If you're in a party, take it off the dining table and pull the person aside and have a conversation where it's easy to chat in the backyard or something and, and, and don't make it confrontational. Um, or if it's online, you know, really think, are you going to get anywhere arguing on, on Twitter publicly? Um, take it to the DMs. Um, do what you can to keep things private. Point four, check that the person is even open to considering different points of view, just as you need to be open about, you know, what parts of their experience um, are based in truth and the fact that anyone could have fallen for this misinformation. Um, if they're not open, you can't make any progress. Point five, I love, find common ground. What can you agree on? Have you found the kernel of truth that misinformation has been built around? If you haven't, Maybe it's their reasonable fears that have led them to be susceptible to this misinformation. Maybe you can bond over that. Yes, I'm scared too. Yes, this is concerning. Point six, facts aren't enough. However, we've heard of the um, Socratic method, you know, asking lots of questions about how people have come to where they are. So that can be quite effective in this area. You get yourself in the mind of also being a seeker for information. So you're kind of coming at this the same way. It's like you want information, I want information, you want to be safe, I want to be safe. You know, how can you put yourself on the same side as this person and really, you know, flex those empathetic muscles and, um, and try and put yourself in their shoes? Point seven is one of my favourites. We've heard of a knuckle sandwich and a less tasty sandwich, but have you heard of a truth sandwich? Ooh, it's a no. method that was <laughs> yeah exactly right. It's a method proposed by linguist George Lakoff originally, and it's to acknowledge what's true, debunk the misinformation, and then restate what's true. Now it sounds too repetitive to work, but the example I found suggested because I'm personally obsessed with five G conspiracy theories. <laughs> let's say you're talking to someone who believes in that. You could structure your argument as coronavirus is an airborne virus, which means it's passed by sneezing, coughing, or particles. Because viruses are not transmitted via radio waves, coronavirus, which is an airborne virus, can't be carried by 5G. So you can sort of see what they've done there with the truth sandwich. It kind of yeah. sounded like it would be particularly bad, but um, it sort of works. Cool. Now, point eight is the last point. So it's some excellent advice from moderators of the Change My View subreddit. And that's to moderate your expectations. It is unrealistic to think that someone's view will be turned around after one conversation. So this is about a long incremental game. And you've got to think of yourself as on a team of all the other people out there who have had access to the facts and, um, and haven't bought into this misinformation. Presumably, they're interacting with lots of other people too. So you have to ask yourself, how deeply do these people believe this misinformation and how harmful is their belief? If your conversations with them aren't working or they're going poorly, give it away for now. 
many people might avoid having these conversations with their closest family, for example, as they consider it too risky to the relationship. Mm -hmm. But hopefully you are one of many people gently making space to debunk misinformation and, um, yeah, being part of the good message. What do you think is the one of the top eight for you that would be a takeaway? I mean, for, of the list, I love the humility one. Mm. I do too. I, I love the idea that um, it's it's not fake, that real attempt to put yourself in their shoes and go, okay, first of all, it's coming from a position of fear um, and also any of us could have been exposed to this bad information and really start to sort of check that um, you're not coming from a really prideful, know-it-all kind of place. Yeah. Very difficult for those of us in radio, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's true, but it's, it's easy to be dismissive and judgmental. I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be conspiracy theories. In any, in any time you disagree with people, whether it's over politics or religion or whatever it might be, and so I think that's a good takeaway for any kind of um, arguments or co- controversial conversations that can happen over tables. I really like Yeah, it's sweet. I, I love the, the, the first one, absolutely. But I also really like the point about um, check to see if they're open, you know, the, to, to oh, see yeah. if they're, you know. Is if, there any point in doing, yeah, in yeah. even trying to kind but of also, change And also, I mean, it means you can go in, you can have a conversation with someone without it being an argument. I think that's the whole point of yeah. this really is it's like, oh, tell me about, you know. Just finding all of yeah. Anyway, the kernel yeah, of I think truth. Nailed mm. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not about being confrontational. And um, I love that. Uh, I think comedians really understand that reading your audience very well. That point. Mm. So I love that you pick up on that. There you go. Also, sorry. Uh, what is it? <laughs> I, I don't mean to be glib about it, but mm. for one case, like, say your auntie believes something, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, let them. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can have a chat, but what, what are they going to create a new world order based on their Oh, music? yeah, and I think that's the other thing about this is you don't have to change anybody's mind. Mm. Yeah, like it's – I don't know. I'm, I'm just going through this list and I, I did have a chat with someone a couple of weekends ago and who had theories about coronavirus and whatnot and I kind of went, actually – I've nailed a lot of those points already and I just, you know, it felt really... Because I I just, you know, someone was like, oh, he's, you know, another guy was like, oh, this guy's got some thoughts on, on COVID-19. Don't get him started. And I was like, actually, I do want to get you started. Yeah. I, want to, right. I want to know. I want to have a, you know, a proper conversation about it. And mm. so it wasn't yeah, argumentative. It to, yeah, is it worth doing? Is it mm. worth doing? Mm. But... Daniel, I've got to say, you know, the counterpoint to, to, you know, does it matter with the aunt is, well, who else is this aunt talking to and whose lives is this aunt affecting? Yeah. And if we're going to be part of a community, you know, we want to be on board. Some things are more important than others. Uh, yeah. If, yeah. If it was actually, if it was about racism or something, yeah. You might want to gently steer their beliefs to something a bit Switch less Switch the harmful. news on one night. There's my auntie leading a rally. <laughs> I could have nipped it in the bud if I'd have just listened to the eight rules. Yes. Just, if you notice pointy hats, it's not beyond time stepping. Uh, all right, Vanessa. <sighs> uh, great to see you. I'm sorry that it, yeah, that's the last one. That was a I bit of a blindside. Mm. Oh, look, I'm just stoked to see you all. Um, all the best, Jez. You're Thank you so much. You're just a star. You're going to do so well. And um, yeah, and Sarah, wonderful to have you back. Beautiful to be here. Thanks. Thanks, Richie. Bye. Triple R. 
Smithy's back yeah. on the radio. The team is back together for a little while. <laughs> Just two weeks. Here we are. But um, obviously, Ter- you had a baby. Oh. And um curious to know, like, obviously there's lots to catch up on in the last six months. Like, how? oh, June's older than that, though, isn't she? She's about six and a half. Oh, nearly seven, actually. Nearly nearly seven months. There you go. So we've got six months of baby chat to catch up on. <laughs> Let's start with like, like feels it was it like like week one, like getting when you first get at home and what you know, what was different and what was you know what was was anything unexpected? Did you kind of just go, oh yeah, this is what I thought it would be? Oh, so week one, um, obviously, I think shocking for any new parent, Daniel you could probably attest because you just have no idea what to expect and you're kind of terrified when you get home with this little human that you've got to look after but we had a really strange first week at home because when we got home it was a very hot week and there's this constant fear with babies about whether they're warm enough or cold enough or too Mm. cold or too warm and I had no idea but we kind of had the windows of our of our unit open on these hot nights and everything was a bit full-on and you know, you're dealing with all new baby stuff. But how I'm much? Pro- how much did you sleep, or would you like you put it down and just watch it like a hawk? Lots of watching. Time? Yeah, yeah. I I had her as close to me as possible, and lots of when I would sleep, sitting up very suddenly and then putting my hand on her chest and then waking yeah. waking her because I'd had to put my hand on her chest. And sometimes that wasn't even enough. Sometimes mm. I thought, oh, thank God she woke because then you know now mm. I know she's breathing. Yeah. And uh, so there was a lot. It was very intense, and you just yeah trying to feed and you don't, you don't, it's lots of calls to the maternal child health nurse line, lots of them. Mm. Uh, and on our probably third or fourth night, we heard lots of loud noises at the front of our house and uh, kind of were peeking out, lots of flashing lights, red flashing lights, blue flashing oh. lights, nothing's looking great. Our windows are open, then we start hearing Sergeant John, like we can hear the police <gasps> things going on and as it turns out, an alleged, an allegedly serious crime has occurred in our street. Yeah, there's lots of people present, including forensics and lo- lots. I mean, there's tents, there's everything. Mm. So huge amounts of traffic in our street, emergency services at about two a.m. in the morning, mm. and so we've got our bub here, and we're going. This is freaking us out. We can hear everything that's going mm. on, and but at the same time as this is this dramatic thing happening in our street, which I'm more concerned about on a level that I'm like. Oh, the baby, you know, what do you do? Yeah. We also, her eye gets really puffy. And so I ring the maternal child health line and say, you know, baby's eye's puffy. What's wrong What's wrong with her? And they go, it's probably just scoopy eye, it's fine. But after about an hour of not being convinced that they had given me the right information because that's what it's like when you have a new child and also being kept awake because there's all of this commotion in our street and we have no idea what's going on. We go, oh, well, we'll just take it to emergency because for the first kind of two weeks that they're out of hospital, you can turn up to the women's emergency. They, they oh, say you right. can come back with the baby. You kind of have this two-week grace period. It's a real perk. Yeah, it yeah. is a perk. It is, it is. And they, say, and they obviously get lots of new parents because when we turned up, they were like, why are you here? And I went, oh, her goopy oh. eye. And they said, what, what goopy eye? And I went, oh. <laughs> Seems to have cleared up a bit since we left home. And they went, oh, well, you know, come in and we'll 
have a look at her anyway. Well, that's so nice. So they're very kind. Mm. And the, the doctors take you very seriously because they know, they get it. They're like yeah. first-time parents and they do all the right things and they weigh the baby and they they spend a lot of time with you and then you mm. go, like, I'm so sorry. Like that was – I really did think this was – you know, involve this, but we we went back home again, and uh, we thought at least we've kind of got away from all of the commotion in the street. But the commotion ended up staying for a week, so this this situation in the street lasted a very long time. And by the next morning, we have news crews on the street, we have <gasps> choppers, as everything, and it's such a strange experience because you're stuck in your our whole world is this bizarre baby bubble, which is so full on, but immediate like meters away from us is this extraordinary kind of event that's occurring or whatever's going on. But what happened was the next day uh, the we got a knock on the front door and Andrew answers the front door. Now, he's at home, off work, doing a lot of skin-to-skin with the baby. So he answers the front door in tracksuit pants with his top off. He's got a lot of tattoos on his body. And he answers the door and because oh, I'm, you know, sitting there with the baby kind mm. of, you know, rocking back and forth. And... It's a news. It's a news crew, and they go. Oh, I think shit. This is, this is, this is what they want. This is what they want. They want the topless, tattooed man to say chick chick boom. Yeah, to say chick chick to be like yo that quiet night. You know whatever. You know to yeah. say whatever needs to be said. You know they want that. This is the vox pop they are looking for. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God. I can hear them asking, you know, can we turn on the camera? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, and he has yeah. a bit of a conversation, but it's all kind of off the record or whatever. And, yeah. and I go, oh, that's great. He's really good that he sent them away. You know, he eventually mm. sent them away. And um, I said, oh, that was. But know. also the, the, the young mother on the couch oh. with the newborn baby. What's happened? Oh, yes. And just you in the background. Oh. Yeah. And then they read and then check. It was it was a dream for them, and I think they were really disappointed yeah, when, when they got sent away. But then a couple of hours later, we get another knock at the front door, and I'm like, oh, it's a news crew again. And by mm. this stage, I'm strung out. We've been at the emergency at 3 a.m. Oh, yeah. Andrew's still got his top off, answered the door. And by, the, by this stage, I'm like, just get rid of him. And so I start going. <laughs> I can hear Andrew having quite a serious conversation, and I'm going, don't. Don't tell him anything. Oh, I just God. start going, don't tell him anything. Shh, don't. Wait, just send him away. Don't tell him anything. And he's going, he's looking, I can see him kind of looking at me with his eyes like, Sarah. And I'm like, just don't. Shh. I'm just doing this and I've just lost my mind. And then he turns, He after a while he, he leaves and he walks up and he's like, yeah, it was the police. It wasn't it. It wasn't the media. And, and he's like, and you were yelling. Don't tell don't them Don't tell them anything. <laughs> Over my shoulder, and I was standing there without a top on, with tattoos covering my body, and so it was just this like that was for me. That was my first week of my child's life at home. That yeah. it, it was this ridiculous kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. Pretty shirtless household you got going. Sure, on there. So much shirtlessness. And to be frank, I probably didn't have a top on as well. I just didn't want to mention that part of the story. Well, mate, it was hot. It's understandable. Yeah. yeah. Lots of skin to skin, but yeah, that was that was the first week at home with with the baby. It's a shame; could have gone viral. Older, uh, yeah. yeah. And the news crew, I bet they would like to workshop some catchphrases. I know. I'm, I'm, uh, if, if only they'd caught me saying. I think the news crew were disappointed they didn't get me yelling over Andrew's shoulder. <laughs> Don't tell them anything. <laughs> That's right, Triple R. Science, elastic tubes and 
Dr. Jen is back on breakfast, aren't we? The Cusbury Weird Science Morning, Dr. Jen. Good morning, Daniel, my friend. How are you this morning? Yeah, absolutely stellar. That's uh, <laughs> all happening. Jen really authentic. I just wish the lockdown could go forever. That's all. I know why everyone's so downbeat about it. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Let you know. Let's just enjoy. Let's mm. thrive, shall we? <laughs> mm. But but we 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 turn inwards in these times, do we not? We do. We well well we're kind of turning inwards, then we're turning outwards. So do you remember when we've talked about the microbiome before? So all the the uh, bacteria and viruses, all the kind of living microbes in our guts and on our skin. We've talked about that a few times, yeah. Mm. Yes. yes. But today we are going to look outwards into a world we currently can't travel into and think about the fact that uh, you can actually measure the microbiome of a city. Now, I hadn't really thought about this before until I came across this exciting new study. But just imagine it. You can go out into a place and, you know, use little swabs to work out what what um, microbes live in a place. So I want to tell you about this huge study, the largest ever genetic study of the microbiome of different cities. And if you think about cities are important because more than half the world's population live in cities. And so in this study, they uh, tested or they collected samples of what lives in public transport systems. So think train systems, buses, trams, and also hospitals in 60 different cities around the world on six different continents and basically said, well, what lives here? Which I think is a pretty cool study, don't you reckon? So we're talking nearly 5,000 different samples. It started working uh, in the New York York subway, but then they extended out. So think, you know, all the cities you might imagine, London, Paris, New York, San Francisco, Rio de Janeiro, Santiago, Tokyo, Singapore, in Australia, um, Sydney and Brisbane were represented. The only place they didn't really get good coverage was Africa, which probably isn't surprising. But they collected samples from the air and also from surfaces. So if you think about a train station, there they were with their little swabs at the ticket kiosk and the turnstiles and the the railings and the benches. Um, I I just love the idea of people all around the world going, I'm going to see what bacteria live here. Let's see if it's different to what bacteria lives anywhere else. Someone swabbing on a train would not be the weirdest thing I've seen (laughs) on a carriage. (laughs) Well, I don't, yeah, they didn't swab other people. So it's just like, you know, you're resting your arm on the rail of the train and you go up and you get your little sample and you put it in a jar and then someone extracts the DNA out of it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So what they creepy. found was the larger the city, the more diverse the microbes, which is probably not surprising. They found you get more diversity closer to the equator. It makes sense. It's warmer. Things breed faster. But the thing I love the most about this study is that they found every single city basically has its own unique fingerprint of microbes that live there. So the tagline that came out of this study, the authors said, give me your shoe and I will tell you with 90% accuracy what city you live in. Whoa. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. So what, so how? So what are they, what have they discovered? So they found um, more than 4,000 different types of microbes live around, uh, live in different cities. But 
I think not only did they find uh, microbes that we already know about, but they found a whole heap that had never been recorded for. So something like 11,000 new viruses. 750 new species of bacteria. So this whole wealth of kind of diversity of, of microscopic life that we didn't know anything about. And so we think that it's so different in different places because of the climate and just the geography of where you live and what people come into contact with. But they also found that there's 31 really common species of bacteria and viruses that account for something like, I think they were in 97% of samples around the world. So... There's lots of individual variation, but there's also lots of things that live commonly wherever there's lots of humans, which I guess probably isn't that surprising, right? Because humans aren't particularly different in mm. different countries. So I was just putting, uh, you know, like Hollywood microbiome influences out of business. If, 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 <laughs> if, if, it, if it's all dependent on your geography, then what, what can I personally contribute? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I guess one of the responses to a study like this is, well, that's really cool, but what's the point? Does it actually, does the micro, do, do the microbes that live around me actually affect what's in my gut and does it affect my health? And I think the answer to that is we just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you're a Hollywood influencer, it's really important that we still eat certain foods to make our guts healthier. But I think this study is kind of important at a bigger level. So, you know, we're talking viruses. So if we want to be able to detect outbreaks, you know, infections, because all of this study was done before COVID-19 happened. All of these samples were taken before COVID-19. So, you know, maybe if you have a really good idea of the viruses that exist in an area and you're doing regular sampling, you suddenly pick up something new, you can do something about it before you have waves of a pandemic around the world. I don't know. I mean, it also, the other thing that was really important was they identified bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics. So I think most people have heard this idea that there's really scary bacteria out there that if you get an infection from that bacteria, we have no known antibiotic to treat it. So these are really very terrifying that mm. they exist. And so now we know more about where they live in different parts of the world. And you'll be pleased to hear that um, Australia and the Middle East have some of the lowest levels of uh, bacteria resistant, sorry, antibiotic resistant bacteria in the world. So, <laughs> Is there any correlation between um, countries that have used lots of antibiotics and having these bacteria that don't it doesn't work on exactly that's what we think jez that that um historically and probably quite recently middle east and australia and and oceania we probably have used antibiotics less which is really good for us that there's few of these fewer of these scary bacteria out there but some of the other ways that you could use a study like this is think about forensics you know there's someone who says i have ne i was never in new york like you can't pin me of having been in new york mm. and you're like well look at your shoe mate look at the bacteria you were definitely in New York in the last month or whatever it was. So I think there's some pretty cool things that could come out of this. And the other thing that occurs to me, you know, they found all of these new bacteria and all of these new viruses that weren't previously known at all. People talk all the time about, you know, the Amazon rainforest. It's going to be the source of all of these future drugs that we just haven't found yet. Well, maybe it's the subway that's going to be the source of future drugs that we just haven't found yet because we haven't been looking in the right places. I think plenty of people have been looking for drugs in the subway. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> well, 
different yeah, types. But, you know, have they been swabbing the the handrail walking into into mm. Flinders Street Station and discovering new bacteria there? Yeah. Who knows, right? To take two doses of the Epping line after breakfast. <laughs> Exactly, Daniel. I like the way you're thinking. Uh, so I reckon it's pretty cool. And I guess the interesting thing is to then say, well, let's go out and repeat all of this post-COVID-19. You know, mm. in another millennia, we all talked about the fact that COVID was having an impact on our own personal microbiota. You know, yeah. people who were making lots of sourdough were getting all sorts of good beasties. People who were no longer coming into contact with anybody else because of um, quarantine, that, you know, we were reducing our, the interaction that we were having with other people and that would have an effect on our microbiome. But let's think globally, the fact that so many places have been reduced in in how much human-human interaction there is, they might go out and do this study again this year and find that that COVID-19 has had a massive effect on diversity. And we're all sanitising our hands constantly. Everything is sanitised in a way it never has been. So. Yep. Exactly. So we already know that these kind of signatures, these fingerprints of microbes changes season to season and year to year, place to place. And I guess over coming years, we might get more of an idea of how something like, yeah, using hand sanitizers all the time has a big effect. So Amazing. What a study. Uh, Thanks, Ogjit. I love the idea that you can give me a shoe and I'll tell you where you've been. Yeah, you can't get away with anything anymore. Bloody hell. (laughs) And also, clean your shoes. It's filthy. Uh, Dr. Jen, talk next week. See ya. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Did you know that today is uh, cheese day? Is it? Yep. According to... International Day of the Cheese. Yeah, according to this website called com. Um, and you can go there any day and they will have multiple things in there because it, there's something there's something every day. This, this is a US-based. This doesn't al- – does this align with the the chasing of the cheese? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think this is just Americans go, yeah, June 4th is National Cheese Day. Um, I think that's essentially what it comes down to. In that accent. Yep. Mm. That, that's, that's a very good American accent. It's a very good American accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was. Um, uh, also today, um, according to this website, it's also, uh, audacity to hope day. Oh, what yeah. does that mean? means, um, it, it is, I'll ex- By Obama Barack? Yeah, well, ah. yeah, that's the history of it. Um, audacity to hope day is celebrated every year on June 4. On this day, we celebrate the resilient human spirit that conquers all obstacles with hope and perseverance. Oh. It is also a day to celebrate movements and important landmarks in human history, um, et cetera, et cetera. A celebration of optimism and hope. Audacity to hope anticipates a happy future for every single person. That was very nice, but I was more excited about National Cheese Day. Yeah. Um, so what happens on National Cheese Day? Is this a day we just that... talk about cheese and um, you can think about how much you like cheese what? and... I know this isn't related, but where is the... You know the running of the cheeses? You know what I'm talking about, right? The where wheel they, goes they run down, down the they, hill and yeah, they chase yeah. the cheese. break their hips and necks. Where is that? Is that a... I'm is that guess. an American thing or is I'm that Scotland? I'm going to guess Belgium. Okay, Scotland's oh. a good one. Oh, no, I was going to say Wales. So yeah. do you want me to look up the running of the... Cooper's Hill, Cheese Rolling and Wake. So Cooper's Hill... Uh, Gloucester in England. Yeah, oh, there okay. we go. You know how uh, 
Coon Cheese was going to change its name to Cheers or Cheer. It and did, it will. didn't it? Well, this, I haven't seen it. Oh, the label hasn't changed yet, has it? Oh. I mean, how much – this is my thing. They made the change. Months later, I was like, how much cheese do you have in the back catalogue here? Yeah. Yeah, well, you've got a – how many pre-printed yeah. things are there? <laughs> printed. <laughs> and it, it really is printing with the slices or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway <laughs> – Cheese. I thought cheese day might be a good day to celebrate. Um, cheese printer. If you want to make yourself happy, Google running of the cheese, and then lots of pictures Mate, of just cheese you... come up with legs, little running cheeses. Oh, that is fun. Yeah, it just but makes you feel good. But have you seen that that Netflix show called Champions? Where and the first episode is about the female champion in this one. No. Running. Oh, mate, there's a treat for your Friday night. Oh, Get onto that. Okay. It's terrific. Anyway. <clears throat> Cheese. I thought, I thought it might be fun um, for everybody to tell us your favourite cheese joke. Okay. Like here's one. I've got heaps. <laughs> Google just, cheese jokes. People can text in. Uh, you know, give us your if you've got a joke about oh, cheese. Yeah. Send us a text in zero four double six nine eight one zero two seven. I mean, what else have you got going on? Tell us your cheese joke. Cheese joke. Cheese. It can be a cheesy joke if you like. But here's one. How do you how do you um, hide a tiny horse? How? Oh, hang on. Shouldn't we have a guess? Oh, it's too hard to guess. Is uh, it gonna, are we, if we guess, could we get it? Yeah, maybe. How do you hide a yeah, tiny, it's a tiny horse? Yeah. It's something to do with at, cheese. Something to do with cheese. Yeah. Mm. A, does it have the word pony in it? Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll just say it. I don't know. I'm trying to workshop oh, the answer. Oh, are you trying to? Oh, I thought you yeah. knew it, and you were just. I was like, God, can leading, you get in there? Leading to it. Yeah, I just don't know what's got to do with cheese though. Mascarpone. Oh, hey! Mascarpone. Mascarpone. How did you know that it had pony in it? Because tiny why horse. use the synonym tiny horse? Right. Oh, you're so smart, Daniel. No. It's not mm. where my brain went. I uh, love that joke. That's it's great, a great isn't it? joke. What's what is cheese lovers' favourite type of music? Um, cheese lovers' favorite, favorite type of music: hard, hard rock. Or... Oh, that's not bad. Oh, that's good. It's not bad. Blues. Oh, blues. Oh, actually, not bad either. There's so many. R and B. Oh yeah, that's good. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Like blues, white, just blues, like... just blue cheese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's it? another one of my favorites? Is uh oh, what did the um cheese say when it looked at itself looked at itself in the mirror? Uh, cheese. Hello, me. As opposed to as, cheese. As opposed to what? Is that like a... Hello, me. Oh, oh, oh right. hello, me. Oh. I hello thought that was a joke me. about having a photo taken and it just took me a while to, to get my brain yeah. there. Yeah, like, but there was the, no what, photo. What did the cheese say? But there was no photo and the cheese would be like, oh, yeah, me, yeah. instead of cheese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did the cheese say to the therapist? I can't remember it any longer. <laughs> Okay, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? I like it. You guys got any more? Um, what is the cheese lover's favourite? Oh, this is so obvious. I'm not going to read it. No, come on. Oh, what is the cheese lover's favourite village people's song? Oh, I, I can only think of the YMCA. YM... Nacho Man. Nacho. Oh, yeah. Nacho. Oh, yeah. Anyway. That's good. Yeah. 
There's a lot of it was up to no gooder, gooder, like gooder as good. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've Googled cheese jokes and it's most of them are gooder, like most of the punchlines are gooder. Yeah, like when shouldn't you believe a word your cheese is saying when it's too gooder to be true? Yeah. Is it gooder or gooder? Is it, it is gooder, right? Okay. I don't eat much cheese. Why is Christmas the cheesiest holiday? Because of the baby cheeses. Oh. Well, it's a bit, so it had the word cheese in the setup and the punchline. In the punchline, yeah. Double baby cheese. Che- so Kath and Kim's baby cheeses is still, I think, one of the greatest <laughs> jokes of the entire Kath and Kim series right. where she makes it. So, you know, um, so Kath's wedding, she asks Kim to get her a – a model of baby Jesus and Kim hears baby cheeses and she comes together with this like put she's put together these little wax cheeses with sticks. That's right, the little baby bell. Yeah, ones, like baby isn't bells it? Yeah, yeah, with like yeah. lots of little <laughs> sticks. And I still like baby cheeses for me is always I like that is just gotta be the greatest Kath and Kim joke of all of all series. It's just that little wax model of baby cheeses coming out. <laughs> is that the only show to have done the baby cheeses? I thought The Simpsons maybe did a Sure, yeah, maybe. Mm. Anyway, there's our cheese. It just little... brings so much joy, National International Cheese Day. Yeah. People are, people are really good. What did? Oh, yeah, that was someone who was, it doesn't matter anyway. Someone wants me to play the Depeche Mode song, Your Own Personal Cheeses. Can oh, you do yeah. that? Yeah. No, not right, no. But that's, it's too late now. It's but... too late, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, the end of the cheese <laughs> chat. Triple R. We are joined now for Geraldine's penultimate Friday by Moet Swilling funny runner and stalwart funny bugger, Laura Dunneman. Hi, Laura. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Thank you. We haven't had our mini Moeys yet, have we, Geraldine? No, they're still sitting in the box. We haven't um, had a chance to... I. I was almost going to bring him to our run the other day, but we didn't think we were allowed to sit in a park and drink And then we them. thought we might have to walk and and drink mini Moeys while we're walking. Yeah, it's and... all about putting it in a coffee cup. <laughs> oh, we're just walking, having a coffee, but it's... I don't know if that's what, like, Moe champagne was designed for. No. So we, we're you know saving it. You know it's Moet. Is it Moet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I learned that through a hip-hop song. Oh. Mm. I learnt it through um, a TV show, but it was a comedy TV show, so I wasn't absolutely convinced that it was. Yeah, yeah. And but, but still, when you say Moet, people go Moe, and you go. I'm so you, not, I say Moe I'm because it makes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I've, I've said both. Yeah, Moe. I, I said Moe, and then everyone just ignored me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd screwed up. <laughs> we'll educate him by yeah. correcting him passive aggressively. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's very sideways, isn't it, having a moeit? Do people still get the sideways reference? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Old film. Yeah, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Not for me personally. Yeah. Hold um, on to – don't – Don't hold on to your mic like that because it makes a noise like – And it's Geraldine's most hated noise. As I'd forgotten that because it had been so long since we were on the air with each other. (laughs) <laughs> I watched her face when someone did it yesterday and I went, oh, yeah, that's yeah. triggering her it hearing triggering. that noise. Um, when you're on a phone call with somebody, yeah. you put your headphones on. But anyway, talking about I better get on to what, my segment today because I've got a lot of ground to cover. Okay, yeah. 
business, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about, you know, champagne and popping the cork, I thought I would talk about big announcements because it's kind of been a week of big announcements, hasn't it? It has. It has. Yeah, Smithy's so back. Day, you oh, had yeah. your big announcement mm-hmm. on Monday, didn't you? Yes, I've told everyone that I'm finishing up on Breakfasters. And that's a big announcement. It was a big announcement. Another big announcement that we had this week is that we're going into lockdown. Yep. From the Victoria government. They they made a big announcement. Equally big announcement. (laughs) Probably, I'd say equally big. Another equally big announcement that I am making on air today is that uh, my husband Dan and I have decided to start doing treat night again. Oh, <laughs> that is big. Yeah. So treat for treat night, we have takeaway and you can have whatever you want and you don't have to have the same as the other person. Yeah, you can order <gasps> if you want a burger from someplace and you want pizza, no problem. Into that, Sarah? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Once a week, treat night. I've never lockdown. thought of it as a possibility in my life. And uh, changes everything, it does. doesn't it? You're getting takeaway anyway. You don't have to have the same thing. And you can think about what you're going to have all day. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to have the, what do you feel like? No, you- instead you have the, what are you thinking? What are you going to have? Yeah. Because no conflict. It doesn't affect you at all. I think this is how couples fall apart. <laughs> Should be part of couples counselling. Yeah, yeah. Right. like have you thought about ordering different meals? Might save some relationships. Yeah, it starts and here. Then, <laughs> and then you sit, and then you each sit with your laptop, watching a different show with your. Oh, right. oh right. what a dream! <laughs> treat, yeah, what, what a treat! <laughs> But I have been thinking about big announcements because, yeah, there were two pretty massive announcements this week and, you know, it can be nerve-wracking and it doesn't always go to plan either. Mm-hmm. I thought I would share story of when I told my mum and dad that I was having a baby. Mm-hmm. You would have gone through this, Sarah, of, you know, it's, a, it's really nerve-wracking telling people that you're having a baby, isn't it? Yeah, terribly. Yeah, you feel sick inside. Yeah. And it's not just the morning sickness, but <laughs> I we invited my mum and dad around to our house and I had decided to do something cute and I bought a little onesie and I wrapped it up like, you know, like a present and we gave it to my mum and dad and said, this is a present for you. They'd done something nice for us recently. So we said, this is a present for you. And they opened it and my dad, for an extended period of time, thought that the onesie was a coat for his dog. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that's a very nice booty's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, my to, God. Yeah, it was just awkward and, and yeah, oh took the shine God. off a little bit. <laughs> no, nah, it's not for the dog. We're... Yeah, no, we're having. Oh, oh anyway, <laughs> it would have been a good coat for the dog. I mean, he <laughs> needs a new one. Um, so anyway, I thought that we'd have a little bit of fun this morning mm-hmm. and try making big announcements, like hypothetical big announcements for ourselves. Okay. And so, you know, one of my favourite things to do when I come on and be funny bugger is make you guys do all the work. Mm. So. <laughs> 
I've texted you each individually a, a, a thing that you have to announce. Have you got your each got your little thing? Yes. Yes. It's come through. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we might start with Geraldine. So you've got something there that I've given you, Geraldine. Mm-hmm. What's your? I don't know. I haven't come up with a name for this game, but maybe we'll come up with a name for it at the end. Okay. Yeah. People can play it over the weekend in lockdown at home. <laughs> <laughs> You just call it big announcement game. Okay, big announcement game. Yeah. What about big A? Big A. Big yeah, a. that's good. Yeah, I like that. Let's have a We're round of have big a, a. We'll have a round of big A. Yeah. And so, Geraldine, you've got something that you are going to announce to everybody. No one knows what it is, mm-hmm. but you have to announce it like like it's for real with yes. us. And it's just a little role play for a bit of fun. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. I'm just reading it again. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think so. <clears throat> and I'm allowed to say, yeah, anyway, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. Um, <clears throat> you uh, interpret it however you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, hello, uh, everybody. I think, um, I think now's probably a, a good time to, to say this. Um, and I know I've proved it, I've spoken about, um, you know, that I am leaving Breakfasters and, um, I'm doing that for, for many reasons, but I guess the main reason is something that I haven't, I haven't brought up yet. And I think now is a very good time to do it. Um, so I just wanted to let everyone know that I, um, am leaving Breakfasters to, um, enter politics, and I'll be oh. running for state parliament coming up at the at the next election. Oh. Yeah, so I just feel like I'm uh, being a member of this team. I feel like I really can speak to a lot of what um, the state of Victoria needs and wants. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a people person, and I think I'm a good communicator between. Between, like, I think I can communicate to, you know, the powers that be um, and, you know, I can speak for, for the people of, of my community. What so. a pivot. Oh, is this, are you, so, are you running mm-hmm. for the, with the coalition? Yes. Yes, I will yeah. be. Um, I'll be <laughs> making, so. yeah, I'll be running for the coalition because that's where my, um, my beliefs lie, my, align with yeah. most life. So watch out Michael O'Brien. Yeah. Like he he's, he's like talking he's talking right? about he thinks lockdown heartbreak circuit breaker <laughs> to heartbreaker circuit breaker to heartbreaker <laughs> you don't even know what heartbreak is yet Mr O'Brien because here I come for a, a, a lib lib spill lib spill <laughs> that's fantastic that's very well done thank you Daniel I got chills Jezza that was great mm. thank you. And I think you should enter state politics, but maybe not for the coalition. Nah, maybe I'm I'm happy not to enter politics. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are. Okay, so that was really good. Great, thank great you, Jezza. I might go to Sarah. Oh, now. To me, okay. Are you, All right. Are you ready? It's a fun game. Yeah, it's a fun game. Mm. I am. I don't. Um, Guys, I know that you might have heard that all morning uh, we've just been going on about how hard it is to live in Melbourne now and mm-hmm. stuff it all. Uh, well, I'm actually just done with Earth. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm just done with it, frankly. Okay. I don't like humans. I don't like um, the ground that I walk on. I don't like anyone, really. And um, um, in particular, working with you guys this week has reminded me how much I don't like 
humans, yeah. So I'm going to announce that I'm giving up and we're, um, Andrew and I are joining the, um, well, I'm joining the SpaceX mission to, to Mars. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because wow. I just figure nothing here for me anymore, except for June, who I'm going to take with me. So, okay. um Yeah. Yeah, I'm and, gonna. And I'm gonna you take can, her the with whole me. family can go. Yeah, well, I'm not, not I'm, just an individual thing. We, but... I might actually be leaving Andrew behind, but I'm going right. to take June, so he he'll have visitation rights via Skype. Off you go. That's great. Yeah. So see you later. Great. When when Earth. do you go? I blast off next week. Great. I'll be. Looking forward to it. <laughs> what, a, what a big A. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's so, fun. Um, we've got time for one more quick one from oh, you, yeah. Daniel. Now, Daniel, I've given you a really easy one. So I thought, because I really think you can handle it, I'm going to add an extra layer of difficulty. <gasps> so I would like you to make your announcement in the style of a Vic Health COVID press conference, please. Thanks for all coming uh, today. The numbers are good. There's just me talking. Uh, and uh, I want to thank everybody for all of your commitment. We're all in this together. Uh, and, of course, you're all... Uh, I won't keep you waiting any more for this announcement. I am... Um, you'll have noticed, of course, during this lockdown that a lot of people have been buying... Uh, Animals, maybe that they couldn't, they didn't expect that they wanted to keep or whatever. And there's been a lot of abandoned animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, We noticed that vets have been experiencing extreme stress because of this surplus of animals. And I would like to announce that I'm joining this. I'm going to adopt a puppy. Uh, It's a Bedlington Terrier. Um, It's it has. it has respiratory issues. I'm looking forward to that. I think that that provides the sort of personality that I can, you know, I've got a puffer. And it basically I'm adopting a puppy and uh, and I thought it was a good time in lockdown, especially when they can't sort of go outside very much. Do we know what strain of puppy it is? It's a beastly strain. Okay. <laughs> and it's a beast. And, and from when are you going to be adopting it, Daniel? What What time and day? Um, well, the, the, the timing is we'll, we'll have to confer with National Cabinet. Uh, there's obviously lots of <laughs> parties that we need to um, discuss with, but um, speaking about it with the bureaucrats and the, the, chelf, the, the, the uh, CHO, um, it's going to be um, for seven days. We're going to keep it for seven days, but it might be 14 days. We might actually keep it for heaps longer than that. We don't know, um, but yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to make that announcement. That's a great. That big was a. very good. That was the best big A of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice guys. Well, thank you so much. I can see that we've run out of time, but thank you so much for playing a game with me. Oh, thank oh, you. Thanks, thanks for, for being introducing here. it to us. <laughs> My pleasure. You can play it again anytime or anyone that's in lockdown. Announcements are fun, aren't they? They yeah. put you on edge. Yeah. I feel very overwhelmed and nervous. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. Feeling sometimes, though, it shakes you up. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to feel something, you know. <laughs> 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 Triple R.